Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast that will teach you to take your Shopify store and turn it into a business growing sales machine. It has the latest marketing, email, sales, SEO, and social media advice, and also have strategies and tips from the experts without fluff. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick has over 13 years experience in digital marketing, from PPC and SEO through to digital transformation of businesses. He's helped hundreds of brands from startup Shopify stores through to international enterprises that operate in hundreds of countries. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and in interviewing the experts to help you and your journey to success. This episode is sponsored by Bright Pearl. Bright Pearl is inviting you to discover how to win with automation at a series of free virtual events. These include a webinar with Spotify about exactly how to automate your orders and save yourself hours every week. And it's completely free. Discover more and sign up now at brightpearl.com forward slash life is short. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. For those of you who haven't tuned in before, my name's Nick. I'm the host of the podcast here. I've been running the podcast since June last year. And prior to that, we had about 18 months beforehand of my lovely uh, founder of our business, Just Ask Parker, and her name's Caroline. And Caroline was walking through loads of different marketing bits and pieces. I then took over. If it's your first time here, we do welcome you to hit the subscribe button and also check out our Facebook group, Winning with Shopify. There is a very specific reason why you should check out the Facebook group, especially this week and next week. And that's because we're running a free webinar, which I keep getting reminded that I need to point out in the podcast and I keep forgetting. So here it is. This is my plug for a webinar that we're running. We haven't quite confirmed the guests yet, but they might have been confirmed by the time this podcast goes out and gets released. So make sure you check out the Winning with Shopify Facebook group. The podcast is going to be shared on there a couple of times over the next few weeks. So make sure you go on there. It's completely free to tune into that webinar. So make sure you go and sign up. Today, this is, I believe it's part three of our series at the moment about the business side of both e-commerce and specifically Shopify, but not exclusively to Shopify, of course. We've had a couple of episodes so far, one with Ben Leonard, where we were talking about all the different bits and pieces that you guys need to know about to make sure you don't end up with uh, sort of tax bills turning up and completely ruining all your profits and also preparing for what you're going to do next. So how you're going to exit your business and that sort of thing. We're planning to have Ben back at the end of the series as well. Um, to come and talk specifically about exits and how to exit a e-commerce business or an e-commerce business. Last week as well, I posted about a few different things, uh, basically five statistics that I think everybody needs to know. So if you're quite new to this and you don't really have a plan yet, you haven't really got any traction, highly recommend last week's episode and the week before. But today we've got a very special guest who has a very, very colorful background in uh, e-commerce. His name is Jared, and I'm going to let him introduce himself in a second. But Jared, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Nick. I am so excited to be here. Great stuff. I love the enthusiasm. Uh, we in Britain are lacking enthusiasm, so it's good to hear it from, uh, from somebody out in the US. Um, but firstly, Jared, tell us about yourself, the businesses you're involved in, and a little bit about your background. Absolutely. I own three businesses, one for over 15 years, selling over 200 brands of other people's skincare products here in the USA, all direct to consumer. The second is our own brand of skincare. My wife and I own the businesses together. The brand is under her name. That is a Shopify store, alinamitchell.com. 
And the third is my own business, Beefy Sites, where essentially what I do is I help people go from zero to 20 million. You know, startups or businesses that are already up and running, I help them sort of organize their store and their marketing and scale. Amazing. Thanks so much for that. And I, I especially love all the three points. There's a very specific reason why you're running each of those businesses, especially the last one using, I assume, using your experience in e-commerce to then help other businesses follow, uh, follow in the same steps. Yeah, it all started when Neil Patel hired me to run his e-commerce consulting department. I started working with a lot of various different sizes of stores and companies, and it became very rewarding to help people grow. And so I started doing it on my own. Nice, nice. And as I said, just before we hit record, and I'll say publicly, as somebody who works in the SEO world, Neil Patel is somewhat of a legend when it comes to SEO. I highly endorse almost all of the content on Neil Patel's website when it comes to SEO. He really knows his stuff and there's some really good uh, free resources as well there. So obviously go and check out as many free resources as you can, especially when they're free. But don't be scared to pay for stuff as well, which I think is a good uh, disclaimer to, uh, to add in there. See, Jared, let's go back a little bit. We're going to talk about financials and everything else in a second, but Let's go back. How did it all start for you? How did you end up in the e-commerce space? It is a wild story. I used, to play, <laughs> I used to play music in a band for a living, like rock and roll. We were signed to Interscope Records and living that life, touring the whole deal. And shortly after we signed a major record label deal, the iPod came out. And I'll never forget meeting with our A&R guy. And he said, hey, we're not selling CDs anymore. I actually need to go start a company with Dr. Dre called Beats Audio. And so I can't help you guys anymore. <laughs> Never heard of it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyways, long story short, the music thing didn't work out. And I was forced to sort of look into some other ways to make money. So basically, I did what anyone would do. And here in the USA, I went surfing. And then I walked into Costco and I picked up a flyer on the side that said how to build a website. Nice. Well, my wife at the time was running her own day spa business out of a room and selling some retail out of the uh, day spa room. So she said, hey, why don't you build me a website? Why don't you put these products that I'm selling in my day spa online and see what happens? So <laughs> I went home. I took the flyer. I built the website. Someone told me Google was a big thing. So I figured out how to advertise on Google. And back then, Nick, I couldn't believe it. The cost per click was so expensive. It was. Can you guess how much I was paying per click? Okay, well, I've heard multiple stories. I mean, I've been in the industry 15 years. And I've heard stories where the click costs have come down because people have improved it. But equally, I mean, generally speaking, going back, it was like 10, 15p a click when it first launched because they had nobody on there. There was no competition. I couldn't believe it was five cents per click. That was like such a real how could you pay five cents per click? <laughs> so <laughs> um, obviously, yeah, things went up pretty quick from there. But it's a lot worse these days. I can assure everybody of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We basically figured out how to start selling one line. I looked at my wife. I said, if we can add five or six more, I might not have to have to, you know, scrounge around and figure out what I'm going to do with my life. And 15 years later, we have 200 plus brands for that business. Amazing. Amazing. And I love the fact that this story as well, like, I've been asking this more and more on the podcast recently, and I, I love the fact that your story doesn't start with like 
well, I went to business school and then I came out and did a degree in Google. And then I worked at how Magento works. And, you know, I became a developer and a coder. It's always, for example, two weeks ago, and Ben was talking about the uh, shouting Ben out a lot at the moment as well. But Ben was basically saying, you know, I, he, he wanted to go traveling. He had a bit of a, an accident and therefore couldn't travel and was desperate for money. So he started selling gym equipment online, which is now known as Beast Gear. Um, and was very, very successful with it. So it's really interesting how so many e-commerce businesses don't come from somebody waking up going like, I'm going to become an e-commerce entrepreneur and sell millions of products. I think that's happening more and more as time goes on. But certainly back in, you know, back in the early days, which uh, is when you started, it's always from a problem or, you know, you, you started out in music. Ironically, I started in music as well. And the reason I ended up in pay-per-click advertising initially was, Music is numbers, pay-per-click is numbers. I, I was good with numbers. You know, I, I, knew, I knew how to make the numbers work in the way we wanted to. So all very interesting. And the topic of numbers leads me on nicely to what we're going to be talking about today. So what we're going to be doing today is I'm going to be asking Jared lots and lots of questions about, um, or maybe not lots of questions, but some questions about the key financials when it comes to running an e-commerce store. Now, Jared and I are both in marketing, so we're going to try and angle it a bit more on that as well, partly because if you get the numbers right, you can spend more on marketing, and we all know what marketing does when it works well. So the first question, and this is quite an easy one, but it'd be good if you've got a story about this or anything else you can add to it at all, but how important is it, in your opinion, both in marketing and the overall e-commerce business, how important is it to get the numbers right, to know your figures, know your income, know your outgoings, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, to me, you cannot run a business and scale it effectively if you don't have a good, solid grasp on your basic numbers. And, and those five that you named are generally what I like to start with too, maybe a couple others. Yep. One thing I learned early on is you can make just as much money on the back end as you can the front marketing end. And I've seen it time after time, year over year. So for us, it is an entirely huge focus. Yeah, definitely. When you say the back end, are you talking about email marketing and what you can do with existing customers and then the front end being new customers or is there something else in that? When I say back end, I'm talking about digging into the minutia of your financials. And this is something that I do on a monthly basis. So I'm talking about margins. I'm talking about inventory. I'm talking about getting down and dirty on your balance sheet. And I look at all of my expenses, all of my expenditures, all those little recurring charges that add up monthly that you forget about are eating away at your bottom line. And if you don't stay on top of them, then you can actually end up losing a ton of money each month. And so it's something that I focus on every single month. I think on Monday, I'll have my financials for last month and I'll do the same thing I do every month. And I will go through every single transaction to make sure there's no fraud and make sure there's no wasted money. I think it's so important. I mean, I should have said right at the start, I've been saying on every episode, none of this is financial advice, everybody, or legal advice or anything else. We're purely just sharing our perspective, our view, our opinion on things, which means I can then share a very interesting, very, very short story of, I didn't do that when I started my first agency, which was about 12 or 13 years ago now. I didn't do that. And then I phoned my uncle, who is now retired, used to be my finance director and is a chartered accountant, which means he can do accounts for businesses in the UK. I phoned him up and said, uh, oh, uncle, what's VAT? How does this thing work? 
And VAT in the UK, if you're uh, if you've got a certain amount of income, and we've covered this again a couple of weeks ago, if you've got a certain amount of income, you have to basically charge an extra twenty percent on top, or give twenty percent from within it. You can do it either way. You have to basically give twenty percent of all of your revenue to the government. It's called value added tax. It's just added on top to every purchase for certain things. Marketing services being one of those things. And I hadn't accounted for this at all. So what you're talking about, Jared, is the opposite of that. It, it, it's still the same process, but you're talking about every single little transaction. I hadn't even got the basic big stuff right yet. And I ended up for probably the first two or three years in business, just basically living what he described as hand to mouth, living out of cash and just constantly chasing the next, um, you know, where, where's the next bit of money coming from? Paying tax bills out of today's money, not yesterday's money, where the actual tax bill was generated. So I think there's there's two sides to it, aren't there? There's the, the big side of macro, are we actually running profitably? And then as you say, there's the micro side of, as a business grows, you don't want any you know recurring costs or small amounts that add up or are very regular. You don't want them to start eating into your bottom line and, and costing you money. Otherwise, all the hard work on marketing has been completely, completely wasted. Absolutely. The old saying that we follow around here is if you squeeze the pennies, dollars will follow. You know, I try not to sweat the small stuff. And disclaimer, I am not a financial guy. I'm not an operator. <laughs> I'm a marketer, right? But I've come over the last 15 years to see the value in understanding the full spectrum of the financials of my business. One of the most top top mistakes I come across when I'm auditing sites, either for my own clients or for Neil, is that people have not properly set up inventory tracking and have not properly tied it into their financials. So they don't even have access to the right uh, figures and margins and percentages and all these things that they need to properly run their business. I think it's so important. I mean, you, you may not know this and some of our listeners may not know, but we've done lots of sponsorships over the last year with Bright Pearl which is such a good system for that. I mean, it's not the only one, of course, but having a system that can do all of that is so important. I mean, I mean, for example, one of the financial elements of all of that is forecasting for stock, isn't it? I mean, it, if you couldn't forecast, how on earth are you going to make sure you've got the right products when, you know, you and I, the marketing guys, we do all the hard work and get a customer in. If you, you know, if we drive a thousand customers to a product, but there's only two of them and they go, what are the other 998 supposed to be looking at? You know, it's, it's, it's things like that, that, if you can forecast and have the right stock in place at the right time, you can make a lot more money. And it's where I, I personally think some of the more black and white, dry, what you would describe as boring financials start to look very, very exciting when, as you say, in the back office, you can see all these little bits and pieces going on. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the problem that most marketers run into is they, they don't have the foresight to be able to realize that if you bring in the right person to run these systems for you and be in charge of these numbers and be in charge of the inventory numbers, wherever the inventory may rest, they're going to pay themselves off once you reach a certain size in your business, right? So, you know, it's something that I encourage all of my clients to do. It's one of the first questions I ask, how accurate are your financials? Is your inventory up to date? How are we tracking it? And usually people are like, oh, Google Sheets. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't a quick disclaimer. I've, ne I've never said this on the podcast. I reckon I spend 50% of my day on Google Sheets. Like, given that, I mean, we, we have the premium version, but given that it is technically free, Google Sheets is awesome. 
But yeah, once you're more than one or two people in an e-commerce business, Google Sheet is that is not the way to manage stock <laughs> by any means. <laughs> I've heard great things about Bright Pearl. We currently use NetSuite for our businesses. Nice. But I mean, these days with Shopify, there's like a dime a dozen. There's a bunch of really great inventory tracking systems out there. And many of them can tie into your financials. Not only that, many of them offer sales channel integrations as well. Like there's a system called Skubana here in the US, a guy named Chad owns it. He's a great guy. And they do everything. They'll track your inventory. They'll they'll pop you over to sales channels and they'll tie everything into your financials. Nice. Nice. And I think one of the dangers though of all of this, I mean, this all sounds great. I completely agree. We're just playing devil's advocate for a second. One of the, one of the challenges of all of this though is if you don't understand what all the numbers mean or how to read them, it kind of becomes pointless actually having them. I mean, it, Maybe it's not pointless, but you know what I'm saying? It's people need to understand sort of what, I mean, you mentioned the word balance sheet already. Uh, another big one I look at a lot in my business is P&L, profit and loss. If you don't understand what that is or what the items on that mean or how to interpret it, you might look at a you know balance sheet or a P&L just for a single day's worth of data. It's not going to help you at all, is it? Especially in e-commerce, you might look at yesterday and be like, wow, we made such a loss yesterday, but you might have had 10 really big orders the day before. So you know, so actually you're in loads and loads of profits. I think people need to, in my, in my opinion, anyway, people need to start to understand these financials. I think if I could rewind the clock, the one thing I would go back and learn more of is I would probably go on a, an accounting course before I started running any business at all, purely just to learn, learn the financials, learn the numbers. Yeah. You know, what's so funny too, is I actually had to hire someone to teach me how to read my financials. Exactly what I did. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, and I am not ashamed to admit it. And by the way, I would love to hire someone again just to like give me a refresher. Because I just, again, not that way. And it's okay. Like you can throw up your hands and be like, you know, hey, I'm not a CPA financial guru guy. Like as a business owner, you just have to know when to put the right person in the right chair. So yeah. for me, you know, when I'm reviewing my profit and loss in my balance sheet, I'm closely paying attention to my expenses and closely paying attention to my margins and my discounts. And for me, it's it's kind of like a full day thing that I do once a month. I think it's a good way of doing it. I wish I had more time to do that. And I know the, the actual reality is I've got as much time as everybody else. It's how you manage your time. But yeah, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a really good way of doing it. I I definitely have, the more I've learned about financials, the more I've kept my eyes on, like we use zero in our business as a piece of accounting software, the more I've kept an eye on dashboards. And you talk about getting the right people in. As I say, my uncle used to do my accounts. And one thing I've noticed has been very different since I since he retired and I got a, a more commercial accountant in. The first thing my new accountant did is he sat me down and said, right, these are the numbers that are most important to your business. And I sort of said, I better talk about training what the hell does that one and that one and that one mean? <laughs> he was like, well, <laughs> let me show you. And then I asked him recently, I said, look, you know, we, business is growing really nicely. We've got loads more clients. How do I track what, you know, not such a problem for you guys as customers pay money's in the bank, but how do I track invoice payments? And he said, well, look, there's a report built into zero that's here and they've just released a new version. I'll configure it for you. And, it, you know, he's not billing me by the hour. We just haven't agreed. We'll pay you, you know, we're, we're this size of company. We'll pay you this per year and you'll do my accounts. But having those dashboards, it means that every week I'm checking the numbers for an hour or two and going, right, okay, the, these numbers here show me that these people owe us money or we owe money out to that. So we better get these other invoices paid. 
which means I can balance cash flow, which means we've always got, you know, not too much, but a, a good amount of cash. But equally, we can keep, you know, we can keep churning. I did read recently about several different e-commerce businesses that just ran out of cash. You know, they're almost paying their suppliers too quickly. And they had all of these different clients paying them on finance or, or sorry, uh, customers paying them on finance. And it all became a bit of a problem. Yikes. So next question, cash flow. Um, I'm not going to ask you how important it is because everybody knows the answer to that. Super important. What's a good way of just managing cash flow? Like, is it a case of just have loads and loads saved up? Is that a bad way of managing an e-commerce business? Like, how do you guys approach it? So I got to ask, I, I got to answer this question based on how we've always done our businesses. Yep. I came from zero dollars and I have always bootstrapped everything and I've never, ever raised any money. So for me, it's survival mode with cash flow. Okay. Nice. Now, what I've learned along the way is that you can do those things. And many of you that are listening may have access to money or have raised money or have come from money. And that's awesome. So, but I just wanted to clarify before I answer this question, that's how I've always had to run my businesses. So yeah, I, w- what I've learned is it's, there's a surprising amount of resources, at least here in the US, if you've got your head screwed on straight that you can access if you need cash flow or capital. And I am just shocked because generally, and, and, and I don't know how it works over there, if it's the same or not. It's similar, yeah. There's lots of resources for it. Yeah. Most of the businesses that I consult for here in the USA have never even applied for a line of credit with their bank. Yeah. To me, that is just hilarious. So, you know, for us, it's very, very easy with the size of our business to get a line of credit that, by the way, you don't have to touch your line of credit. Okay, you never have to touch it, but I want you to get one and I want you to get the biggest one you can imaginable because you might, <laughs> <laughs> you might hit a spot where you, one of your ads starts working and you need to bring in half a million dollars in inventory and spend another couple hundred thousand on ads and you're going to need that cash really quick. And that's like exactly what it's for, in my opinion. And the interest rate's so low, it's basically free, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think there's a big disconnect, isn't there, between cash and investment. They're often, and again, it might be slightly different out in the USA, but in the UK, for sure, cash, you can get hold of from a bank. It's just a loan. It's a, we call them overdrafts, where you, you know, if your bank balance reaches zero, there's a, you can go down to 100,000 below that or something. And that's called an overdraft because you're overdrawn. You know, if you, again, as you say, if you need to buy stock in suddenly, or you've actually sold a load of products, but the cash won't come in until products exist you need to pay for them to be created or whatever there's all these different costs that can come up so those resources are available in the uk i love the way you phrased it because we're exactly the same i've run lots of businesses and one thing's been interesting in this series i keep mentioning my failed shopify store because it's such a good learning and fortunately it wasn't my only business i still had food on the table but yeah well, i've always taken the approach of why would you apply for investment or loans or try and build something from cash or from some sort of, as you say, you've come from money, you've got money available. Is that, why would you do that when in my business, I could just sign another client or in your business, you could just work that little bit harder on, certainly on, on some of your organic channels where you're not paying for advertising. And then you're living out of your own cash rather than having, you know, which, which can often get overwhelming, having this essentially a debt sitting there. But I, I love what you've said about actually about having a cash resource available if ever you need it. 
even if that just helps you sleep at night, you know, if it all starts to go wrong, we've got a resource we can use while we fix it. Absolutely. And we'll get more into the, the cash flow side of cash flow in a second, but I just love full ownership of my business. Yeah. I don't want to take on money and give up ownership. So, you know, the second thing I like to talk about is your credit, You're having your head screwed on straight, paying your bills. So mm-hmm. here in the U.S., American Express offers a, a working capital line of credit that you can apply for. And there's another opportunity to have a separate low interest resource that you don't have to touch that's equally as big as your line of credit if needed. And that's something that I always recommend to clients as well. Most people don't even know it exists. It's called Amex Working Capital, and I'm a huge fan of it. Nice. The third is here in the U.S., if you're not able to access the SBA's resources right now during COVID, you're living under a rock. Like, so there, it's like incredible the amount of money and the low interest rates that you're able to access through the SBA right now, especially due to COVID. So for us, as far as having access to capital, in my opinion, right now in the U.S. at least, there is no reason any business should be raising any money because the government's pretty much cut your back right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. So I think it's very similar in the U.K. And I, I've been reading, I've got a few friends that are economists and, you know, I've been hearing a lot of stuff from them as well that it's the same across the world stage that, you know, for example, we, we've bought a couple of small other agencies we've integrated into my main company, Spec, over the last year. And all of them, we just use, you know, interest-free government loans because why not? Because, you know, we've got the cash anyway, but I'd rather sit on that money for a year because we are in a pandemic after all. If it all goes wrong, I'd rather have a few loans outstanding, but we can fix it and wait, wait for everything to blow over rather than not. But again, it's always a case of that. As you say, that's we didn't raise the money. We haven't given any shares away. I was, I was jokingly say that when it comes to investment, I don't like sharing my toys. So, so either I need to be in control of the business so I can make decisions as I need to make them and everybody knows what's going on rather than sometimes it's like, oh, so-and-so owns 30%. We should probably go and check with them before we do this. And that takes two weeks and oh, it doesn't matter anymore. The opportunity's gone. I just think it's, it's, it's so much better when you've got a you know very sort of both proactive and reactive board of directors. And I think, as you say, if you've got investors or angel investors and all the different phrases sitting around it, it can get very, very complicated. So. Yeah, certainly a word of caution to anybody. And sometimes there's reasons you do want an investor. You know, there might be a specific deal you get through somebody or if, if a, you know, a bigger or sister company invested in you and you can cross sell products and customers and that sort of stuff, it can be beneficial. But I'm very much on the same lines as you. If live out of Live out of what's coming in, not what's not coming in yet or might come in one day. Yeah, I've always been the kind of guy to pay my bills on time. That's just what I do, unless there's yeah. something really, you know, special going on. That's just what I do. And I try to use my credit cards a lot. Here's another sort of side tip. I buy most of the retail for one of my businesses on credit cards. The amount of credit card points that I get from buying all that retail is essentially another income that is completely non-taxable. So make sure you're leveraging your credit card points properly. That could be a a whole nother topic. It can. (laughs) I'm doing the same with a few. Sure. A few clients pay us and we then pay Google or Facebook for advertising on their behalf. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend it because I'm doing really, really well from it on British Airways Air Mars at the moment on my American Express cards. Um, whereas somebody at the client could be doing it and it's their, it's their call, not mine. So 
it's a bit of extra paperwork for us. But yeah, I think absolutely getting credit points and so getting, as you say, sort of bonus points and reward schemes on credit cards, massive win. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not trying to brag. I'm just put, putting this in perspective. If you, if you do this the right way, I'm leaving tomorrow for Hawaii. I'm going to be gone till later July. And the entire thing will be on credit card points with my entire family. <laughs> Nice, nice. Yeah, I still haven't visited Hawaii, but it is definitely yeah. on my list. Once you get access to those, you know, lines of credit and loans, you don't have to use them. But what I found is that feeling of your hair being on fire goes away. You've got like a little bit of a hug, a little bit of a cushion. And then I really want people to focus in on making sure their inventory is accurate. Then I get the financials accurate. And then I dump them over to like a CPA. I get all of my forecasting laid out month over month. So I pretty much know how much money I'm going to make for the entire year before it starts. And then I just simply give that to my CPA and we have all of our taxes laid out. So essentially I have a roadmap and a game plan for each month. So I know how much I need to manage my cash flow. Nice, nice. And what does CPA stand for? Because something slightly different in my world. Oh, certified public accountant. It's like a U.S. certification. And um, the cool thing is if you are, and that's actually really important here, Mm. if you're going with um, someone to do these things for you and file your taxes, use a, a legit CPA because they actually have standards like rules they need to follow to keep their license up. So there's some some accountability there. Yeah, it's the same. In the UK, they're called chartered accountants. Yes, exactly the same sort of thing. CPA in my day-to-day stands for cost per acquisition, which I'm sure is another acronym you know, (laughs) Uh, only all too well. Um, Going back to Hawaii, though, um, not to talk specifically about Hawaii, but I think this is important, not specifically on a financial note, but just on a, again, we're in the business series, running a business. I've had times where I've burnt out. I'm sure you have too, and we're not going to go, again, this could be a whole other series of episodes about burnout alone. But I just wanted to make the point when you mentioned Hawaii that I've learned over the years that sometimes switching off and having a break, even if you feel like the business is going to fall apart, nine times out of 10, it won't. So actually, you're going to be absolutely fine not being there. But I've certainly this this year, I've been really, really challenged that if work becomes all work and no play, which it has because of in the UK, we've been locked down. We've been told not to leave our houses unless it's essential. So like grocery shopping is pretty much the only thing we're allowed to do for three months earlier this year. When it becomes all work and no play, to me, it becomes pointless. And so I just, yeah, just wanted to get your thoughts very, very briefly on that. And then we'll go back to the financial stuff. But given that you've got this trip to Hawaii, how important is it for you to get time off and enjoy essentially the fruit of your labor? I mean, essentially, it's, uh, it's everything to me. It kind of what I did I was listening to a, a sermon at church one Sunday. Nice. And they were talking about how Benjamin Franklin wrote his uh, eulogy and epitaph by the time he was 30 years old and then changed it four times over the course of his life. So I think it was seven or eight years ago in Hawaii, I wrote my eulogy and my epitaph. And long story short, I backed into what I actually wanted to, to do with my life and how I wanted to live my life with my family and my kids. Yep. And essentially that boiled down into every day. And by the way, I mean, (laughs) after we get off this podcast, I'm going to go surfing. (laughs) Nice. You know, so (laughs) each day I, I make sure I have an intentional amount with each person in my family. I have some self-care 
whether that's a workout or a surf. And then I have some good work time and some good employee time. And I have this balance that I've created that works for me. And it's going to be different for me than you, because I like to wake up at 5 a.m. Yeah. Not a lot of people like to do that. Some people like to sleep in the 12, you know, so I get up at six. So <laughs> I'm definitely a morning person. I, what, what I, interesting on that, I, I found a very similar thing. And I'll be honest, it came from church as well, actually. I was listening to, um, not to suddenly destroy loads of Christian resources at everybody. I think his name was Craig Groeschel or Greg Groeschel. He does this thing called the Leadership Podcast. It's not overtly Christian for anyone who's listening that's not Christian. But he said something about start planning your diary or your day or your to-do to do list or as I now call them, needs, needs to get done lists. It's not a t- list of tasks, just I need these outputs. But he said to start off with your non-negotiables. So for me, it's similar sort of stuff to you. I need to know that I'm going to be leaving the office before 5 p.m. every day. Otherwise, it becomes pointless. And in a business like mine, I'll end up working till 11 p.m. at night. I need to know that I can get up in the morning and within one hour of getting out of bed, I need to be at the office, pumped with a coffee, breakfast, ready to go. That's how I operate. If I don't do that, I'll be fairly tired all day. And it's the same with days off and time off. I'm making more and more time for that as, as time goes on. And interestingly, the more time I spend away from the business, the better it does. <laughs> not, not to say that I'm bad at running it, but it means given that I, I'm, I'm the owner, everyone looks to me. So if I'm tired and whatever, all of that trickles down. So if I'm constantly pumped and energetic and excited about my next day off, my next adventure, or what I did last night with the family, all of that stuff then helps me run the business. And no business is going to be successful without creativity. So if you don't invest in things like rest and fun and play and family, you're going to struggle to have the rest of the stuff there. Um, maybe we should do a whole series on this in the future. Maybe we should. Hey, I'm down. I mean, if, you, if you're if you talking about financials and things like that, yeah. then you got to talk about burnout, right? <laughs> definitely, definitely. Ironically, the, I normally get burnt out when we've got less money in the business. <laughs> it's like, weirdly, and I'm saying this very sarcastically, it's like the two are linked. Um, but yeah, I think certainly financials, there's always this kind of, oh, I don't really want money. I just want to run a cool business or give people employment. And I have to say, I, I completely agree with all of that. But getting the financials right and making good profit is liberating. It means you can employ people. It means you can train people up. It means you're in part of a growing business where everybody's motivated because good things are happening. I think it's always a challenge when if you don't have enough money, you can't have all of the rest. I think as much as people try and shy away from it, the two are so interlinked. It's certainly in a business. Yeah, and, and it's important for everyone listening to know, it took me 10 years to figure it out. And I kind of had to do it on my own. And the systems back then weren't good. So, you know, be patient with yourself. But maybe if you're listening today, you want to write this down and start really making sure you can invest in an inventory system and get inventory up to date. Find the right person to get the financials in order and then take that person and utilize them to help you with your forecasting for both sales and taxes. And stock as well, I'd add into that. So, Absolutely. Yeah, forecasting I mean, what stock to have. And- yeah, you know, a good, good system like Bright Pearls, it's going to track your um, velocity and it's going to make recommendations. And that's what NetSuite does for us. It's awesome. Nice, nice. So going back into that, that middle point then, at what point, if you were starting an e-commerce business, because I know a nice chunk of our audience are quite new to this, hence why they're tuning in. They want to you know, find out how do I do all of this? What's the best best approach? At what point between going, I think I'm going to start an e-commerce store, at what point between that and it being successful, 
do you think they should talk to a financial advisor or an accountant? Do you, do you think it's straight away to make the plan? Do you think they should get some traction first and then take that data to the accountant? Or what do you think is the best approach? Yeah, I'm more of a ready, fire, aim guy. And I think probably a lot of our listeners are, you know? Yeah. I, I like having some data and some stuff for them to chew into before going to them. I think it should be like your, you know, maybe your second or third hire, in my opinion. And it doesn't need to be an employee. It can be an external contractor. Actually, I really prefer that still, you know, until you reach a point of a business where you're probably doing about 10 mil a year, you probably don't need to have an internal CFO or financial, you know, uh, CPA type of employee. So you should be able to find an external person that you can hire to help guide you through these steps. I think it's, I think it's absolutely brilliant advice. I was going to say that certainly with financials, financial people, especially if they're good, can be really expensive. So if you're only buying in a few hours of their time a month to get what you need from it, A, that's cheaper than an employee. And B, if they're working on lots of businesses as well, they're not turning up at your door to work full time and saying, hey, look, this is what we used to do in the old business. I want to use these systems. They're coming in going, I work with tens, possibly hundreds of businesses, and I've worked with thousands over the years. These are some of the different ways we can make this work and we'll choose the best one for you, which I think is certainly a better way of doing it, looking at lots of different options and finding one that works. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree 100%. Right. Last couple of questions then, and then we'll start wrapping stuff up. One of them in particular, and I we've covered this quite a bit, so it'd be good to get your thoughts on it as well. Business plans. We've spoken obviously about cash flow and growth and forecasting, etc. How much have you ever spent your time putting together a business plan, like a month by month? Here's how much money we want to make, etc., and, and how we're going to grow stuff. I've never put together a business plan in my life with regards to like the traditional definition of a business plan, like a spreadsheet month by month of how much money we probably won't make. <laughs> no, no, no. I, when I hear business plan here, I think of like you know going to Harvard Business School and coming up with like an overall plan for a business. As far as a business's like financial plan, that's something that I do for each of my businesses. Cool. And, you know, now that we have our inventory and numbers straight, it's essentially finding the right person to get under the hood and look at the past financials. And then they ask me questions like, you know, how much did we grow last year? How much do we want to grow this year? You know, what's our ROAS on ads? Okay, what does it look like if we're able to scale up to XYZ? They plug in the numbers for the entire year. I have every single chart of account on my financials on that forecasting sheet, and we have every number predicted. And it all boils down, and I'm able to tell if we're profitable or not, and how much we will pay in taxes. And then I give it to my CPA and essentially he lets me know if I need to like, you know, pay some installments and how much money I need to save. And then again, like, you know, for those of you who kind of have your hair on fire, that is like the most comforting thing, especially when the month ends and I review my financials compared to my forecasts. We do both aggressive and conservative and they're pretty close. It's it's a really good feeling. Definitely. And I think in terms of planning, I feel like if I was to start another Shopify store again, which the guys in my team are twisting my arm saying, we're this good at marketing, let's let's do our own store again and see if we can learn from our mistakes. So if we do do that, there's only probably three or four statistics I'm going to put on a piece of paper as a plan. I think exactly as you said, I'm not going to sit there and do a kind of you know business school, hypothetical, here's what might happen, could happen. What a waste of time. Why don't we write some good SEO copy and start getting some traffic into the site instead? 
and use our time and resources on things that are going to do that. And then exactly as you said in the second half of your answer, then once we've got some numbers, then we can start reviewing them. I think, yeah, absolutely spot on, exactly, uh, exactly what we would do as well. And then the last bit then, so just before we come into land, what other resources do you think it's important for businesses to start bringing on board as they grow? purely on the sort of financial, I'm not going to say legal, but yeah, let's just stick to financial this, uh, this episode. But yeah, what are some of the other resources on top of a you know, financial advisor, an accountant, et cetera? Is there anything else that's really important for making the success of the business? Gosh, I mean, okay. One thing that I did recently that was a little thinking outside the box is I started looking for someone who could help me with all of these weird tax incentives and rebate programs that I've heard about business mm, utilizing in the U.S. You know, you hear about these things, but they seem like they're made up. They seem like they're too good to be true. So um, I did a bunch of research and I was able to find a firm who specialized in helping businesses find tax incentives and rebates. And I was completely shocked at what they were able to do with my financials. And here in the U.S., what was cool is not only were they able to find some credits that I could receive, but we were able to refile up to seven years in the past to receive those credits. Okay, so wow, check this out. One program in particular here in the U.S. incentivizes businesses, and I want everyone to listen to this very carefully, for R&D, research and design. We, we've just done one. Yes. So sorry, sorry to drive, just say. We have it in the UK as well, oh. and it's we can only backdate two previous financial years to the current one. Yeah, that's exactly what I did about eighteen months ago. <laughs> I've, been, I've been filing them every year ever since. <laughs> so I didn't even know this existed, and I like kind of like a mad scientist over here. We do actually create brand new products with our hands that have never been seen before on planet Earth, which is a passion of mine. It's awesome, right? get the trademarks, you get the patents, the whole deal. Like, so cool. I hang them on my wall and it's like this fun process. I didn't know that they'd pay me for this. And many of you are probably doing the same thing. I was able to go back and refile all of my R&D credit time, all this time I'd spent creating new website technologies. It can be software, people. It doesn't need to be a physical product. And also physical products for all of my businesses for the last seven years. I'm not going to tell you how big the, the paycheck was that came back, but it was uh, life-changing. Yeah, same, same for us. When we did an R&D claim, I couldn't believe the numbers that came back. Bearing in mind, we're a, you know, we are a PPC SEO agency, but we're, a, you know, we're much more consultative than that, which means research and development. We don't do development, but we do lots and lots of research. So any client project we've worked on where something didn't exist previously like you're trying to get two systems to work together and they've never been coupled together so we have to build something and develop something to make them couple together and i'm not talking about integration i'm talking about like a custom bespoke web platform that needs to plug into some sort of set of rules and algorithms we put together for google shopping feeds that to us was just a normal day at the office with a client but then when i found out you could actually do an r d claim on it, it was phenomenal i I'll be honest, I, I had a plan recently of if I ever stopped running spec and quit the marketing agency world, my next business would possibly be a consultancy that come into your business, provided you've been trading for at least 10 years, will come into your business, go through all your financials and recommend things like R&D, work out where you've missed out on grants that you can backdate. So we had one recently where we couldn't apply for a certain COVID grant because 
of the status of our office. But now we've had the status changed and it was backdated pre that grant. We've also got the grant. And it, as you say, it is life changing. Like we've hired, we hired a, a two staff members last year off the back of our R&D claim. Hired full time and then thought, because we've got the cash in, we've now got a year to pay two full time staff members before they need to start generating their own income. And then the reality was they were generating you know, more, more for the business than they cost by, by a long shot within a few months. But it means we had that security to be able to, as you say about your hair being on fire, we had that security to make that decision and know that we've got quite a long time to sort this out before it costs us too dearly. So good use of investment, I think. But look, Jared, it's been so great to have you on the show today. I've really, really appreciate your time. It's been a great conversation. You're definitely going to hear from me um, in terms of coming back on in the future. So keep an eye on your inbox. Just before we say goodbye, how can people get in touch with you? Like what are the websites you're involved in or if they're interested in your consultancy, how can they get in touch? Sure. Yeah. My uh, main website is beefysites.com. If you meet me in person, I'm a big guy. And so people call me beefy. So I just call it beefysites.com. And, and also the other businesses that I own, Skincare by Elena and Elena Mitchell. And you can also check out Neil Patel too. We were talking about him a little bit. He's an awesome dude. Great content. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jared. I really appreciate your time and for coming on today. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Nick, and hope to be back on with you to talk about anything anytime soon. <laughs> Maybe we'll get back on to about Hawaii. Yeah, let's do it, man. Cool. Well, to anybody else listening, thanks so much for tuning in. It's been great to have you with us again. I hope you're staying safe. We'll be back again next Friday, and we're going to continue this series. And stay tuned, because as I said, we're going to get Ben Leonard back um, for probably the last week of June, I think it's going to be, um, to talk about exiting. So you've done all this hard work, you've built a business. How do you sell it? How do you make some money? Or how do you exit with some sort of great financial agreement set for life sort of thing? So make sure you stay tuned. Check out the Facebook group, Winning with Shopify. And we hope to have you back again next week. Thanks for listening. Sign up for free for the Shopify approved marketing course at 1000salesandbeyond.com and get our show notes at justaskparker.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to the Winning with Shopify podcast. See you next time.